This episode of Giants and Crowns is brought to you by High Five. Recently named one of Fast Company's most innovative companies of 2018, High Five simplifies business collaboration with a conferencing platform that builds connected cultures. It's the only all-in-one conferencing solution, including intuitive cloud software and purpose-built meeting room hardware. Plus, it's a high-quality experience with a 4K HDR camera and industry-leading audio powered by Dolby Voice. Growing fast with customers in over 100 countries, High Five is already trusted by the likes of Harry's, Rue La La, Expensify, The Atlantic, and Betterment. To learn more and start simplifying your team's video and audio conferencing, visit giantsandcrowns.com forward slash high five. My name is Vladimir Vukicevich. Um, I'm the CEO and co-founder of a company called Mural here in New York. Um, I'm a first-generation immigrant. I moved to New York in the United States when I was six years old. Uh, I grew up in the city, um, went to high school on Long Island, and then came back to NYU, studied economics and philosophy, um, and was really always interested in this intersection of art uh, culture, broadly speaking, so art and culture, uh, technology and business, like those three things, culture, technology, and business coming together really did it for me. Uh, coming out of school, I did management consulting for a few years, you know, took the corporate route. And at that point, I was, when I turned 24, 25, I was like, shit, I'm not, I'm not really building anything. I'm not, I'm, I'm telling other people what to do, you know, working with CTOs, CIOs of big companies, but not actually creating anything. So I was like, I got to do something. And that's when I started my first company, which was a company called Rocket Hub. It was a crowdfunding platform, kind of similar to Kickstarter, Indiegogo, some of the other crowdfunding platforms. But it was in you know, late 2009, beginning of 2010, when people had no clue what, what crowdfunding was. Um, it's funny, uh, we had a virtual currency on our platform early on. And, you know, when you look at what's happening now with blockchain and Bitcoin and all that stuff. But in 2009, people were like, what's this thing called virtual currency? Um, we have to take it out because it was too weird for people. But um, for Rocket Hub, our, our primary purpose was to help creatives of all sorts. So entrepreneurs, artists, uh, makers of anything raise money. And we did that. We helped at the end probably tens of thousands of people raise tens of millions of dollars. Um, the company got acquired after uh, a few years and the seeds for my current company, Mural, were planted through that experience. What I found was that um, there was a big difference between musicians, filmmakers, writers, directors, and visual artists. Visual artists were still trapped in this old school world of either posters on the, on the low end or museums, galleries, and auction houses on the, on the high end. There was this whole missing segment and I was like, why is this? Why can't this be fixed? Why can't I be able to discover working, breathing artists anywhere from around the world? Um, and why can't I do it instantly? And so once Rocket Up was acquired, we started Mural with that mission to make art a part of people's daily lives. In the same way that all other forms of media are part of our lives, we want art to be the same. Hmm. So how did you, what were some of the first steps? What were some of the, yeah. the beginnings of it? Yeah, so first, 
I had the luxury of having at least a few months of just pure kind of open-ended exploration. Um, and what we realized early on in that in that process, well, first of all, it was just me in the beginning, and then I got my my, my co-founder Jerry on board. Um, him and I have known each other for 13, 14 years from college, so kind of there's a close relationship there. But uh, so we we started exploring things, and we realized that the only way to do this kind of for the short to medium term was to actually build a physical product, to build something unique and physical and tangible. Um, something you take out of the box, you put on the wall, and all of a sudden you have access to a whole new world of art that you never had before. Kind of like the feeling you had when you took that iPod out of the box for the first time or you took, took the Kindle out of the box. Uh, we want to do the same for art. Um, but building a physical product is really hard, particularly in New York. New York has more of a tradition around media, financial services, uh, fashion. Uh, there's less of a you know hardcore physical electronics background here. So that means there's less engineers, there are less um, uh, uh, product designers, industrial designers. So there's this, the whole ecosystem is much smaller. And so it just took us a while to get uh, situated and to build out a team that could actually facilitate uh, building a physical product out of New York. And that took almost a, over a year or so. So that was the, the the first kind of a step. And then while we were doing that, while we were building out the team, we, we just started prototyping. We just started building things. Um, Mural was incubated out of an artist co-op down here in, on the Lower East Side. And we were getting artists in every single day. Um, visual artists, photographers, designers. It was a crazy time for us because we were getting feedback left and right from, from our like, key stakeholders. And... So as we were building the team, we were building the product, just crazy time. And in about a year in, we had something. We had a prototype that looked and felt like what we wanted to build. Um, and we had a small team of five or six people who could facilitate growth. And that's when we started you know, looking for money, um, investor uh, money, and also when we uh, tested the market in kind of late 2015 and we ended up selling out in a few months um, and we were like holy moly there's a market for this concept there's a market for this product Jerry and I built the first units by hand uh, we were uh, we wanted to, to learn how to do that uh, it was primarily Jerry but I helped him a little bit uh, and uh, it was just a wild experience like you realize that building a physical product there's like this almost um, historic um, connection like wood, metal, screws, um, electronics, which is kind of more uh, more more current, but it was just a wild experience. And at that point, we realized we can't be building these by hand anymore. So that's when we raised our first real money is late 2015, early 2016. And then the rest is kind of um, uh, traditional growth trajectory. We, we've, we've grown the team to about 20 people now. We've shipped about 10,000 units um, primarily over the last six to 12 months. And it's really growing as a concept. We truly believe that we can be on millions of walls in the next three or four years. Um, and I think if we do that, then we've created a new ecosystem for the artistic community from the brand new artist through to an established artist who's been making art for the last 20, 30, 50 years. So that's what we're shooting for. We're shooting for a new ecosystem where all of a sudden this world of art is opened up to everyone, whether you're in Cincinnati or Albuquerque or, you know, Pensacola, Florida. Um, we we want to make this into a, a new concept that is very broad. Hmm. So how, how important or how do you think about 
you know the the emotional attachment that a person will have with a physical product. Like how do you oh, how do you stage that experience? That's 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 key. Um, we looked at uh, pretty much all the you know the the trendsetters in that in that space, the apples of the world, and um, the, I mean Apple leads probably uh, out of all the other companies, but there there are a few others, um, particularly in fashion. Um, so I, I think that it raises the stakes building a physical product. We are in people's living rooms. We are in people's dining rooms. We are in people's offices. Um, these are sacred spaces. This is where people gather with their family, with their friends, with their coworkers, with their colleagues. Um, we can't screw up. Like you can screw up a website. You can screw up an app. Um, pretty much no one will notice except for that user or, or a bunch of users, but that it's, it's a more of a limited experience. But if you screw up something like a physical product that's sitting on a person's wall, that means that you've tarnished not just their experience, but their reputation as well. And so I think the stakes are so much higher with physical products that are particularly public like that, in that we can't get it wrong. Um, that means that for every work of art that is displayed on our platform on the mural canvas, um, it's it's reviewed by multiple curators to make sure that it looks and feels right on, on the mural platform. That means that every single product goes through multiple cycles of quality assurance uh, and is constructed and produced in a way that would be equal to a premium piece of furniture um, or a premium article of clothing. Um, so it's tough. It's really hard, but if you nail it, there's also, I feel like, more protection around that. So if you're a company, if we are a company that we can uh, nail that product experience out of the box, that makes us far ahead of others, um, of potential startups and big guys, because to nail that formula just takes a lot of, um, probably in the end, trial and error. And we did that. We did a lot of, a lot of testing. Mm. So the, the trial and error process with a physical product, mm. um, how do you sort of reinforce, I guess, the feedback loop that you would otherwise get on a website? Like, yeah. I have an issue on a website, I submit a request or right. an issue to the contact team or the support team, and you guys fix it in like a day or so. Um, physical product, very different experience. Something's chipped, something is not displaying properly. Like, what do you guys do and how did you guys get to where you are today to build that? Really, it was batches. So we did tiny batches at first, 5, 10, 20 units. Then it grew. The first really bigger batch was about um, 300 units that we produced. Then it was 1,000. Then it was 2,000. Then it was 5,000. Now we're kind of in the 5,000 to 10,000 unit batches that we're producing at a time. Um, that is key because once you've locked in a physical product, that's locked in for that batch um so what we did was basically started with the inner rings of like friends and family for those initial batches we gave some units away um then the beta testers which was the the, the next ring out that was in the few hundred units and now it's the early adopters it's the people who are you know buying a thousand unit multi-thousand unit batches but at each step we had to take a pause and take a few months really to look at the results. Uh, thankfully, it's a connected hardware product, so we get feedback from a data perspective on a daily basis, but it's also a physical product, so it takes 
those first thousand customers that we had, we spoke to pretty much every single one of them on the phone uh, or in person to get their feedback. Um, so it's very labor intensive. You know, there's a reason people say hardware is hard. Um, it, it's just a very labor intensive, challenging process, particularly for a startup team. There's very little things that you could be, you know, quote unquote, lean about when it comes to um, when it comes to hardware startups. But what we found is this kind of batching process worked pretty well. Mm. How'd you come into the batching idea? Just by accident. Uh, <laughs> I, I know. I, I think um, it just made sense. Yeah. Um, because. And also, uh, to be honest, there's an element of fear, right? You don't want to ship 10,000 units to know and learn that there's like something fatally wrong. That was my greatest fear early on is like the thing exploding or falling off the wall <laughs> or, or like something horrific happening. Yeah. And um, sometimes I would wake up at night with like dreams about like all the mural canvases, all of our products, just something terrible happening to them. Um, so I, it was like a, it was personally driven. So to minimize that fear, like, okay, let's take one step, you know, and then let's take the next step. So it was baby steps driven off of the idea that we just wanted to nail it. Mm. So you mentioned before that being in New York, um, it can be challenging to build a hardware business. Yeah. So how did you, what was that process like? How'd you come into this hardware capable team in a city like New York? It took more time. Um, and it took some luck. Um, our CTO had just moved from Israel uh, when we found him. He was in New York for like a couple of weeks. How far into uh, the founding of the company? Uh, probably six months in. Okay. Yeah. Um, and he, we, we, it's funny, we got connected to him through an artist. So we had built an artistic um, connection or community. And those artists were starting to feed us not just feedback and ideas for our product, but also connections and, and, and people. And so Orr, who's our CTO, um, he is um, kind of a firmware electronics guy. Uh, those type of people are very rare to find in New York, particularly with four, five, six years of experience. So through him, we started building out the technology team. Um, the, the tricky part around hardware, I think, particularly early on, is you have to lean on consultants. Uh, on on people who knowingly will not be part of the team forever, um, particularly when it comes to industrial design, mechanical engineering, um, things that have to do with it, with the physical products. I mentioned batching. When you're doing batching, you don't need mechanical engineers for 12 months. You need them for a month at a time, and then you need them again in six months. So that's where the consultant side kind of fits in. So I had to get comfortable with the idea that we would have to work with a mechanical engineer consultant or with an industrial design consultant or a manufacturing. Um, so as to kind of push us further along to eventually give us the capability of having that whole team internal. But that was not possible to do from, from the get-go. And then finally, um, th now what's starting to happen is that there are investors that are cropping up around the country that are oriented towards hardware because hardware is is more challenging. There are particular investors that are uh, jumping up and offering solutions for that challenge. So one of our first investors was a, uh, a company called Bolt. They're a VC firm up in Boston, actually. Uh, but not only do they invest in hardware startups, they have an engineering team. So they then became our extended team for a certain period of time. Um, so it's like, it's a weird form of hustle where um, at different points in the process, 
we needed different resources. And so knowing and being able to manage that while still being managed, while still managing other parts of the the company are, uh, it's it's definitely more challenging, I think, than than a traditional software or, or a web startup here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how do you think you've, uh, <clears throat> your skills or your perspective has changed in the since the start? Because you're, I yeah. think you spoke to, you're not an, a hardware guy. Um, yeah. So how have you become a hardware guy? And how have you come to manage a team of 22 people and uh, wrestle down this idea of creating an ecosystem of murals? Yeah. So you learn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck it. That's what you got to do. Um, I, I, I think that um, it's just the, just the, the step back. Um, people have been buying physical goods for thousands of years. So like the idea of buying something that doesn't exist, like software, um, is new. That's the new thing. Uh, buying hardware and buying physical things, buying mechanical things, buying uh, things that are big um, has existed for a long time. So there's like there is something that could be learned from like how did they sell the chair for the first time how did they sell a radio how did they sell a tv so learning from those historical examples is really 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 important and i i I did a lot of like particularly early on a lot of reading and a lot of just studying around you know how was the radio launched how was the tv launched stuff like that so that helped a lot in terms of just a foundation of like okay people have done this it's not it's not, you know, completely new. It is challenging, but it's not completely new. Um, and then after that, kind of talking about um, the the process, I think everything is just slower when it comes to hardware. Um, uh, yeah. I had to accept the fact that we might have to live with certain quote unquote bugs or or, or, or features that I didn't like for six months or or eight months or nine months, and that sucks. But being able to accept the faults in the product um, while still be being proud of the product and pushing it further along, um, I think is just a psychological, almost like a trick that's, that's necessary to be, to, to be had. Because like, even if you look at Apple products, there's, there are significant big faults in them sometimes you know they ship products and like the the maps don't work or the, the right. it doesn't charge or or like think about that and that's people that's a company that has multiple thousands of people just working on like the camera alone um so it's a very um challenging uh, experience psychologically from that perspective but in terms of building the team what i found was that um because we're a company on the intersection of technology um, art and really design um we build our team with with that in mind so that those three things are very diverse those three things are very uh, uh, different to different people so from the get-go i realized that it was very important to build out a team that had different perspectives people from different backgrounds different cultures um, uh, really uh, people who would come at these challenges at these problems in a uh, unique way because just doing this straight up is not possible. We have to be, you know, um, kind of guerrilla warfare fighters and, and uh, hiring other um, people who, who would be okay fighting in the, in the guerrilla warfare was kind of the, 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 the approach. And it still is still is the approach. And I think it will be the approach until we're like 100 people or so. So guerrilla warfare is like a, is a, 
is a requirement for yes. <laughs> and that, just being able to use you know hand to hand combat, of course, and being able to to you know live underwater for um for for a few uh, uh, hours. That's quite the uh, interview process. Right? It is, yeah, yeah. Especially in New York, it's hard. Uh, we have to go to New Jersey for for some of that. Um, I, I think that um, we're all still wearing multiple hats. Yeah, and. You know, it used to be ten hats, and then it was five hats, and now it's like three or four hats, and that'll be the case for the for the foreseeable future. Um, I think that's part of the advantage that a startup in hardware has is that the guy who's doing the you know user interface design is also talking to the customers, or uh, or, or you know our our head curator she is picking the art that will be on the platform but she also is talking to the engineer who's building uh the look and feel of the product so the idea that there's this interconnected communication um just naturally occurring is a competitive advantage whereas i think some of the larger hardware companies in the world that's less so or it needs to be forced for it to actually occur whereas for for a hardware startup uh that's one of the advantages one of the few advantages that we have over big companies is the, is the ability to be um the ability to be flexible in a way that comes from being flat and uh open when it comes to communication mm. Today's episode is brought to you by Brilliant. Head over to brilliant.org forward slash giants and crowns or go to giantsandcrowns.com forward slash brilliant. You know, um, one of the reasons why we started Giants and Crowns uh, is to really focus on and exercise extracting lessons learned. We're hosting these conversations in the hopes that the actions taken by our guests, the decisions they've made, can help inform the decisions that we will all make as business owners, as generalists, as scientists, as designers, as photographers, as, as producers, as creatives, um, but even more, more so than all that, as lifelong learners. So I, I fundamentally think that, and I think you, you guys would agree as well, to be a great thinker, to be a great learner, you have to have multiple perspectives, multiple models, a diversity in perspective. Um, you need to be multidisciplinary. Brilliant is hands down one of the best places to polish up and do that in an engaged and active, interactive way. And you know, there's, there's actually this really dope quote by Charlie Munger. He talks about Charlie Munger, the partner of Warren Buffett um, over at Brookshire Hathaway and also an inspiration for the podcast. What he says is the first rule is that you've got to have multiple models because if you have just one or two that you're using, the nature of human psychology is such that you'll torture reality so that it fits your models. And the models have to come from multiple disciplines because all of the wisdom of the world is not to be found in one little academic department. That's crucial. Brilliant provides frameworks that are helpful for thinking and solving problems. Brilliant is a place where you can achieve true understanding by getting to the heart of a concept. Their courses are written by leading instructors and researchers who have worked to provoke natural curiosity and guide you through an interactive exploration of deep concepts and principles and ideas. So definitely check out Brilliant. Head over to brilliant.org forward slash Giants and Crowns or giantsandcrowns.com forward slash brilliant. Support Giants and Crowns by doing that and the first 200 folks from Giants and Crowns who sign up get uh, 20% off their first entire uh, premium subscription year. Um, so sign up, check it out. Let us know how, you, how, how you're enjoying it. Um, when we send out our weekly updates, respond with a screenshot or something. That, that'd be awesome. Let us know that you're part of the crew. Um, all right. Thank you so much. So how do you think the communication between you guys and your customers has enhanced or shifted the trajectory of Mural? 
That's a great question. Um, I, I think that what we found from our customer base is often surprising. What we find is often surprising. Um, we, we find that people um, in some cases don't understand what we thought they would understand. And in some cases understand what we think, what we thought would be impossible for them to understand. So for instance, um, uh, we built out a very large uh, platform of artwork, about thirty to 40,000 images, and um, and that's growing now. Um, and we have everything from classical artwork through to um, uh, com- completely brand new art that we're commissioning, like brand new artists that are, that are coming to our platform. So um, our thesis was that people would, for instance, um, change their art maybe once a month if, if there was a mural canvas on their wall. But what we found is that actually, no, people change it multiple times a day. So it was like many fold times more active use than we thought or assumed. And all of a sudden we realized, holy moly, if that's the case, then we got to make, you know, search and browse better. We have to make discovery better. We have to create contextual information that is more relevant to people around every piece of uh, artwork that we have on the platform. So all of a sudden we realized, you know, the biggest insight probably we realized from our customers is that we're not a hardware company. We're a media company that just happens to own that end distribution platform, which is the hardware itself. So in some ways we're like Sonos and Spotify combined, uh, where we're, you know, the speaker and the music platform, um, but with, for visual art. Um, and, and so I think that once that realization came about and that came about like maybe a year and a half ago, uh, once we realized that, Hey, Mural is a media company, uh, that's when we started making certain decisions that would come about from, that knowledge from being a media company, uh, for instance, bringing on more editorial content, so t- telling stories, um, getting um, engagement to a level where now we'll be launching a feed. Um, you know, before we thought we can just have you know a catalog, basically. Whereas now people want to discover in a more organic way, and so those are the types of decisions that are coming from our customers. A feed like a, like a playlist? Yeah. A playlist of- yeah, like a playlist and also like a temporal feed. Like we are publishing new, new artwork on a daily basis. Uh, we go to museums, galleries, artists, uh, uh, different uh, partners. Um, anything that is beautiful and visual um, can live on the mural platform. So it could be a Vogue cover from you know 1965 or it could be a GIF artist who just created this cool GIF that is a really a masterpiece, a work of art that could sit on someone's wall. So how do we make these types of, of, of artwork live organically and, and next to each other is something that we've had to really figure out. And, and what we looked at is playlists, feeds, um, you know, some of the other ways of, of how media is delivered these days. What do you th- why do you think the, uh, there's a, a desire to shift the art over the course of the day? Because I've never really thought about that. I guess... You have like the screensaver yeah. on a computer screen, yeah, and it kind of evokes an emotion. But the experience on for a mural, you walk up to the mural, right? Yeah, that's right. It, you can use you, your app too. Okay. Um, so you could either there's a gesture control, so you wave your hand in front of it, or you can use your app. Um, it's funny. I think uh, generally how it works is people download a bunch of images, they look through three or four of them, and then they settle on something for a few hours, and then they do that again. So it's it's almost like a ritual of artistic discovery and I think that in some ways why do people do it is because all of a sudden they can 
they, they couldn't do it before. Our walls were static. We would only change them really when we moved or you know when someone gave us a gift or, or something like that. Now, the idea that, hey, my wall is a living, breathing thing. It's an artistic, artistic instrument that is very, very unique and that entices our customers to engage. And they start, generally most people start with the things they know, right? The Van Goghs and the Monets and the, the, the Picassos of the world. But that quickly leads to a, kind of a beautiful slippery slope toward learning about artists from the 1950s and the 1960s and then current artists and then going back. And then it, it's, it's really doing what we wanted to do is, is, is make art a living, breathing thing where for many, many years it's not. It's been the static thing that sits in a museum. Mm. What, do you, what, do you, what have you learned in terms of, um, I guess, the learning curve or the, the education of a, of a consumer in terms of art? Like, so they have a Van Gogh piece yeah. that you've displayed. Where do they end up going after that? Well, many different places. But what, what, what we found is that um, it needs to be easy to go to the next step so that's like from this a user experience challenge that, that we've had to tackle so we, we've done that both on the frame and, and the app as well but then where do they go from that um they they generally start with kind of uh temporarily relevant stuff so who are, who are the other artists working at the same time uh, as van gogh and then they're like oh well mural created this playlist of the color blue and Van Gogh's in this playlist, but so is a, another artist that, so it's a combination of like logic and curation. Uh, the logic is more like around um, style and time uh, when the art was created. And then curation is our part, is like how can we curate these experiences to create paths or really choices into other worlds. and. A lot of the secret sauce for what we do comes from that. It's like, how, how do we create these paths where you can take a Van Gogh and then you end up with, you know, a, a, a GIF artist in Spain who's like using these crazy image alteration things to make like subtle movement art. Like, how does that happen? Well, that's our job to, to, to connect the dots there in many cases. Yeah, it reminds me of like, uh, I guess, YouTube and Spotify. Yeah. Um, yeah. We have those suggested videos on the left hand, right. left hand side or, or right hand side, I should say. Uh, for for YouTube, yeah. For YouTube, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think um, we've learned a lot from YouTube and Spotify. We've learned a lot from Netflix as well. Um, yeah, the, these these media platforms that have emerged over the last really decade plus um, have done a pretty good job, I think. Um, though, in some ways. Um, their goals are a little bit different than ours. We don't. Our goal isn't necessarily, you know, time spent on uh, on the device or on the app. That's that's not our goal. Our goal is really delight. Like, can we help a person find something visually that delights them in that moment? And can we maintain that level of delight throughout the day, throughout the the week, throughout the month, throughout the year, throughout the multi year lifespan of a mural canvas? Uh, and that's a tricky, tricky challenge um, because um, we don't want to be another habitual product. Um, we want to be something that provides this almost like an ambient or passive level of delight throughout someone's existence uh, with the mural canvas. So how do, you, how do you think about measuring delight? 
What's the KPI for delight? <laughs> uh, <laughs> woo, um, that, that's that's a tricky one. Um, I, what we found for uh, for our customers, for our, for our user base, I think, is basically is the product on? Is like one like that's the baseline. Yeah. Uh, is this product on? Is it? It's it's connected to the internet, so that's that's a step second level, and then. Um, just little bits of engagement. So every work of art comes with text associated with it, like like a almost like a museum card. And so what we found is that a per, if a person is actually reading something about a particular work of art, we we've learned that that correlates to them being delighted by it. So they're diving deeper, right? They're going, they're, they they want to learn more about something that just inspired them. So that's that's kind of like one metric that that we look at. Another is time on on uh, on the wall. So. Um, if something's been on someone's wall for an extended period of time, that means that that piece is connecting in some way. Um, and we have that data around like which works of art uh, are the most actively displayed uh, on people's walls. And so it's, it's, a, it's a combination of both um, longevity uh, around the work that, that, that we use for, for light and then also engagement. Like, are people diving deeper, learning about this artist, learning about this genre of art? Um, is this art, work of art a starting point for a deeper level of engagement? So it's like those two, those two branches that we generally look at, and there's some other metrics within that. Mm. Yeah. How do you think? How do you think this sort of adjusts the value associated with art? <clears throat> because you know, there's, there's, there is a, there is a, a value, I think, to. Or maybe there was once a value to buying a work of art and it's permanent, it sticks on my wall, and it's like the original. Yeah. Versus um, this sort of, uh, I don't know how best to describe it. Like, what's what's the, yeah. how's the value shifted? So uh, I view Mural as the gateway drug. Uh, I am completely 100% of uh, the conviction that we make the pie bigger for the entire art world. Um, if an artist is known by a hundred people or a thousand people or a million people, that makes the original artwork from that artist a lot more valuable. That's true. Um, and we provide an unfiltered, unspoiled, but still dynamic way of accessing this world of art. So that means we're not on a phone where we're competing with a thousand apps. We're not on a TV where we're competing with, you know, the ball game. We're not on an, on a, a tablet, um, we are a dedicated device for discovering and experiencing art. We don't pretend to be something that will replace traditional art or even limited edition prints. I do hope to take the, the, the poster world out of business at some point, and I think we can do that. Um, but so with that, I view Mural purely as uh, the most beautiful and wonderful entry point and experience point um, that is either the first thing or a complementary thing to someone's art collection. Um, and it's a complementary thing because it allows for a level of dynamicism that um, other works of art obviously don't. So that, that's how I view it. It's, it's completely something new. Um, it's a new way of learning, um, discovering, and then enjoying. And, and I think... Um, the feedback we're getting, particularly from artists themselves, they completely get it. Like the art, the artists like are always uh, the most uh, advanced users of technology, and the artistic community at the grassroots, like 
totally gets it. It's a completely new way of marketing and distributing and reaching an audience. Um, the museums get it. They are saying to us like, oh, wow, we can be in someone's home in a way that we haven't been able to be right. uh, beforehand. Um, the, the, the groups that are most um, kind of afraid or skeptical or both um, are the intermediaries. It's the galleries. Um, in some cases, it's some of the aggregators. So it's, it's, it's these groups that may be disrupted by what we're doing. Um, and I think, yeah, they may be. Um, but I hope that there will always be uh, the curators and, and, and the, the, the people with insight um, participating in our ecosystem. So the, the gallery system, I think, can, can live alongside with what we're doing. But we hope that in some ways we give more power to artists by being able to reach an audience directly, which will actually make the galleries better because they're going to have to step up their game. Mm. So who are some of your other allies in this um, effort to expand the art pie? The artists. So that's, that's kind of the starting point. Um, the, the end consumers. Um, I think uh, people who buy a mural canvas um, are always, like, it's funny, like, they're always surprised by the amount of like joy that they get from it like it that's like a consistent bit of feedback that we get is that people are like wow i didn't think it i thought it was gonna be cool but i didn't think it was gonna be this cool um and and so um, that's kind of like a, a it's both good and bad in that what we found is that when people experience it in person they um are more likely to really get it Number one question we get is like, what does this really look like? What does this really feel like? Um, so I, I, funny enough, some of our biggest allies have been um, the enablers of uh, seeing this in person. So uh, retail stores, people, uh, shops, um, um, public locations, anywhere where someone could interact with a mural canvas directly and potentially even buy it. Um, those are the type of uh, organizations and and uh, corporations and stores and whatever that have been very quick to adopt. So we're in about a hundred retail locations at this point. We'll be in about a thousand by the end of this year. So it's it's a matter of um, just getting in front of people because most people don't even realize that this is a category yet. Most people don't even realize that this is an option yet. And then and then also like who else has been really uh, kind of um, good is is companies that make the parts that we use because um, we're finding new ways of using technology some of which are brand new to us and some that have existed for a while so it's like we're combining and creating a new product off of both new and existing technology that makes um, these companies excited because it's a whole new market uh, and it's a whole new opportunity and then finally i think one more is anyone with visual assets so any company that has visual assets, uh, maybe historical visual assets. Like we work with the New York Public Library, for instance. New York Public Library has this huge um, database of beautiful visual assets, everything from like maps to posters to anything you can imagine that's like historical and New York oriented. Um, they haven't had really, they didn't know what to do with it necessarily. You know, it's on their website and it's being used now and for posters and stuff like that. But all of a sudden, we're giving people access to this to this database. So New York Public Library is one of our partners. A lot of visual assets that are now being unlocked. Uh, companies like that. And then eventually, I think, um, the big brands, you know, the, the Disneys of the world and the Marvels of the world, um, that's, that's coming. Uh, how, how do you see that? Like... Like a Black Panther gif that's displaying on the screen, or what's the what's the thought there? I mean, or black, old school the Mickey black, Mouse, yeah. Net. I, I think um, 
it will so we have a curation team for a reason uh it needs to fit and and feel right but um one of the things early on what we realized is that like we shouldn't try to define what art is like an art to me or you could art to me or you could be a van gogh or it could be you know uh, a family picture that we took at the grand canyon uh, that really means something really really meaning you know means something a lot to you or, or me or whoever so by not defining art um we've, we've gained a level of flexibility um and so how do i see potentially working with with brands is taking a look at their visual asset catalogs and be like you know let's use black panther for an example like obviously there's a lot of new visual content coming out around the movie but this concept or this this world this mythology around black panthers existed for for decades and mural can build a temporal bridge so from the first black panther sketch to the movie you could experience it for instance on the mural platform uh that's not available yet but those types of experiences where we can connect the current day mythology to the original you know core artwork the nugget that it was i think that would be really cool for fans and 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 for people who maybe have never experienced black panther um in their lives same thing for 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 disney like the disney like uh sketches and original artwork from some of their earliest films to the current films is incredible like those are works of art that should be seen by people so uh, how i see us existing in parallel with these big companies is almost being a different lens through which you can view their beautiful historical and sometimes current visual assets so it's a, it's a different perspective mm. last question before we jump into our, our quick fire what's what's been um either the biggest or the some of the largest lessons that have come to mind um that you've learned personally since the uh initial ideation of this business to where you are today i think that the concept of resilience has been really crystallized in my mind through this ex- through through this experience so the idea that um there are these constant challenges that are thrown in front of us and it's so easy to freeze at any moment in time and how i really define resilience is the ability to keep moving and sometimes that movement requires sideways movement and sometimes you got to step back in order to step forward but not getting frozen in a particular moment or with a particular challenge um is really has really been the key for us and for me personally because um everything from like legal and accounting through to taxes through to uh you know manufacturing and supply chain management across the whole world through to you know distribution and warehouse management through to negotiating with retailers through to marketing campaigns like there's so much shit happening that it's so easy to get scared and overwhelmed that really the only only way for me to tackle everything in a consistent and and quality manner is to go at it like one bit at a time one step at a time yeah. break it down and keep moving because to get stuck is to get you know to get dead to write a uh, a self-help book uh, when i'm done <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right so let's let's jump over to our quick fire questions sure. in the last couple of minutes um so we talked about this before i'm gonna ask five questions um you're gonna ask them as quick as you can and give some rationale um the first question 
Biggie or Tupac? That's a hard question. Um, I grew up in New York. So it seems like it'd be an easy question. Yeah, I guess. It's Biggie. But I guess you are in the art world, so... Yeah, you know, there's, there's I, that. I, I'll stick with my tribal uh, <laughs> New York uh, roots. Okay. Yeah. So Biggie. Yeah. Because of New York. Because of New York. Got I it. think they're both very talented. Of course. Um, but to have a little bit of that, like, New York swagger, it, I think trumps it in this case. Mm. Um, if you could be working on anything other than Mural, let's say, you know, you've made billions of dollars. Everyone on your team is flush and doing well. Life is good. Right. Um, you're young still. What would you be doing? I'd be building hospitals around the world. Building hospitals. Why? Why hospitals? I just have um, a soft spot for helping people at their, in some cases, the worst moments in their lives. And I think, you know, hospitals are a simple concept. They're not simple, but they're they're a simple concept to understand. They've existed for a long period of time, and so we just need more help for more people, particularly outside of um, kind of Western civilization here. Yeah. What would you uh, What would you recommend to somebody starting something for the first time? A lot of things. Um, but so what are some of the first things that come to mind? <laughs> um, The number one thing for whenever I started something new or or, um, or began a project is is finding that first person who's going to jump in with me. Um, I think founding a company or starting something from scratch alone is very very hard, uh, it, and probably nearly impossible. Like it happens, but it's really really rare. So having an equal has always been the first step for me having someone who's on the same level knows everything i know and is able to go through those like ups and downs alongside me um is has been vital so it's like finding that compatriot that that comrade the the you know the it's not batman and robin but it's more like superman and batman or whatever it's like two equals yeah yeah all right so last two questions favorite song or song that kind of gets you through um, all of this. I'm a big Radiohead fan. Um, so probably everything in its right place. Um, because it's both like a, it's a song. It's one of those songs where you can take it how you want. Uh, at least I think. Um, so it could be like the most positive thing in the world, or it could be the most like cynical and and ironic song in the world. So um, I I really like it. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And it was uh, our wedding song too. So, oh, cool. They, yeah. Okay. Um, and, and last favorite book. I'm Eastern European, so I I skew towards like the Russian and and uh, uh, Eastern writers. So probably probably the Brothers Karamazov by Dostoevsky, uh, because it's like one of the few books that I read. I mainly read nonfiction, but it's one of the few fiction books that I read that like get to the core of what it means to be a human being particularly a human being from that part of the world where there's there's certain element of uh, darkness conflicting with the light and that's a unique perspective that I think um, Dostoevsky was really able to convey very well awesome man thank you so much for taking the time today I appreciate it thank you thank you